Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Before joining Larry with today's episode, let's get a few words from Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land through our conservation today. When it comes to the choice of whether to graze cattle or not, it really kind of depends what your long-term goals are. Cattle grazing as a whole is not bad unless it's totally overdone and you overgraze the property. But there is a little bit of good in that as well, too, because you remove a lot of the grass cover and then a lot of the weeds and the wildflowers can come up. They've probably been there for a long time anyway. Whether you graze cattle or not, as I mentioned, comes long-term goals. If you're really interested in wildlife, you probably want to carry on a rotational grazing type system, or you may want to totally pull the cattle off of it for a while, such as I've done here on my place. I'm Larry Wysoon, and appreciate you being with us this morning on Conservation Today. Now on with today's episode. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires. This morning, I have got a gentleman on the phone who I think an awful lot of, or a tremendous amount of, I ought to say, because Luke Clayton and I do a lot of different things together. Luke and I go back to, oh, when we started doing it, I started doing a radio segment with him on Luke Clayton Outdoors about 14 or 15 years ago, and since that time, we've we've done quite a few things together, and among other things, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, Luke and I and Jeff Rice do an outdoor show on 
the Carbon TV called A Sportsman's Life. It is basically a weekly show. And beyond all that, Luke and I also do a weekly segment on his radio show that's heard throughout much of the South. And then, two, we do for Sporting Classics Daily a podcast called, uh, again, a weekly, a podcast called uh, Campfires with Luke and Larry, and then uh, we also do a monthly podcast for the uh, Hunting Wire, so called uh, Hunting Wire Radio. So the opportunity to spend a little time with Luke a lot of times comes around the campfire, occasionally real campfires, and occasionally also uh, kind of virtual campfires such as we're at this morning. So Luke, welcome to the, to the episode. Well, thank you, sir. I'm um, honored to be here, and you're right on all accounts. And uh, we also managed to have a whole lot of fun in <laughs> the outdoors doing stuff that that, since, that we've been a lot of it we've been doing since we were boys, which was a long time ago. But yeah, uh, all the radio, the TV things that we do now, that's all fun. But nothing nothing better than getting around a real campfire, being out fishing together, or hunting. And, just enjoying the outdoor lifestyle, Larry. I really appreciate all that, I'll tell you. Well, it, it's it's mutual. I'll tell you what, I can't wait till we get back together again, which won't be long. We we're actually around a real campfire and enjoying some of that Luke Clayton cooking that I want to talk about here in just a little bit. But, you know, we're, we're right on the verge of hunting seasons right now. Hunting seasons have started a lot of different places. And, of course, with you and me to a little bit lesser extent than you, but there is never a closed season because, among other things, I know you dearly love to hunt wild hogs. I do, Larry. I, that's really a passion of mine. But I'll be honest with you, the last, well, through the month of uh, most of July, I really haven't uh, been out to hunt, uh, but I'm planning on it real soon uh, up in East Texas, maybe heading up to uh, our buddy Jeff Rice's ranch. And, 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 you know, it's about time to get some more backstrap for Gusado and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and just to get out there. But I've been watching the, uh, we have these remote, uh, you know, uh, trail cameras right. that we watched on our, on our, our cell phone. And uh, here lately, the last two or three days, uh, there's one camera that we've got set up on the blind down there. You know where it's at, I think, the Vernon blind. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, uh, about 8.15, 8.30, the hogs are doing kind of like I, I recommend, you know, moving early and late when that sun is down. But uh, just about any day, uh, you could you could go, you know, you could shoot a hog. But I tell you about hogs right now. If uh, if a person wants to get out, say you don't even have a feeder anywhere, you know, you're not feeding them corn. But you know, if you want to get out and hunt during daylight hours, get along a, any watershed, creek or stream, or you know, most of the creeks. It's so dry here in north texas and most of the creeks are, they've got water in them but they're not continuously flowing water uh those hogs gravitate to that like crazy you know that larry and you can slip along you know watch the wind and just kind of ease along and, and a lot of times all you'll see is that snout and head sticking up out of the water they get down they know how to survive this texas heat i'll tell you Kind of look like a weird-looking alligator, don't they, sometimes? <laughs> they do. They look weird. And uh, a lot of times, sometimes when they're down there, they honestly, I guess they think they're hidden because I've walked right up, I mean, on top of the creek bank and look right down at them. They will eventually spook, I guess, when they say that, you know, you're, you're about on top of them. But, uh, yeah, that's a good way if you just really want to hunt hogs. And, of course, hunting them at night, uh, 
uh, AGM Global Vision is a company that makes thermal scopes that, that are affordable, and, and they're the ones that I use, you know, Larry, and they're, they're affordable and they're quality scopes, but, you know, always can get out after dark and, and hunt them with, with thermal or, you know, just the old-fashioned uh, red light or, or green lights, you know, on a bow or a rifle. So, yeah, it's hog hunting season all, all year round here in Texas for sure. It is, and of course, we're right on the verge of, of so many different hunting seasons. Probably about the time that people get to actually listen to this, I'll be hunting pronghorn antelope in New Mexico for uh, Trijicon's World of Sports and Field. I've got a rifle coming in from Remington. They've developed a new rifle. I think it may be in a 6.5 Creedmoor, and of course, I'll be shooting Hornady ammo, and, and there'll be a Trijicon scope on it, but I have at this point, I have not yet seen the rifle. i got a feeling I'm going to drive to uh, New Mexico, and it'll be waiting there for me, or at least I'm hoping that's going to be the case. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't, I'll probably be throwing rocks at them or something, I guess. But as a mess, hunting seasons are here. You know, here not very long ago, you, we've had several days, both where you live, where I live, and throughout Texas and a lot of other places, we've had triple-digit temperatures. Of course, it's really, really dry. But I want to talk a little bit about, I, I, I didn't escape the heat. I ran to it. You escaped the heat, and you and, and Jeff and some other people, Jeff Rice, headed up to Saskatchewan to go fishing up there. And unfortunately, it was during the same time. I couldn't get away because the Texas Wildlife Association convention was going on, and, and I had some duties at to take care of there as one of their founders. So I didn't get a chance to go, but you got to go up north and fish. I want to know a little bit more about that, where you went, what you caught, and when you're going back. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Well, uh, for folks that have never fished, you know, a fly-in lake up there in northern Saskatchewan, to my knowledge, most all of them are fly-in, especially when you get way up there close to the Northwest Territories. There's very few, well, there was no roads, you know, actually, Tazin Lake, T-A-Z-I-N, and there's a website, TazinLake.com, <clears throat> excuse me, that place is a home for giant lake trout, and big pike, and, and normal size fish, too, excuse me, <clears throat> need another sip of coffee, I think. Larry. I think you're right, I do, too. <clears throat> yeah, but, um... So it's a destination for people that want to catch a 40, 50, 60-pound lake trout. Uh, and when I was there, there were some hardcore trout fishermen there. That was their goal. And and they did, you know, big trout, giant trout like that, or like big white-tailed deer, or big wild boar, whatever. You know, they're, they're, you don't just get one immediately. So you have to put in your time. To, to do it, and these guys were willing to do it. Some of them caught the trout of their lifetime the first hour they were out on the water. Some of them had to spend several hours, you know, fishing for them. Right. But big old baits that are about a foot long, like soft plastics, uh, burbot is a, kind of looks like a catfish, you know, a little bit. They live, they right, live in right, right. waters. But a burbot, soft plastic imitation, <clears throat> that's a good bait. And, you know, they caught a lot of them on those. I didn't catch a great big one, but I caught a ton of what we call eater fish, trout, and, and pike. But I really, that, it wasn't my goal. I, had, I did fish a bit for the big ones, but I wanted to catch a lot of fish, Larry, you know. 
I understand. I, those lake trout, number one, they're beautiful. I got to fish for them years ago, several times. Year, first time I got to fish for them, we were up there banding snow geese up in Northwest Territories. And the biggest one I caught then, which you didn't have a whole lot of time to fish, but really before we even started to uh, to our, our banding program, we were camped on a lake, and I caught one with a with an ultralight spinning rig that had four-pound test line on, and as I recall, that fish weighed about 20, 22 pounds. Fought that thing for a long time, and then years later, <clears throat> excuse me, I was up in the Northwest Territories up at Lake DeGraw hunting caribou and shot a really car- really nice caribou, and we were coming back to camp and told the guy, man, it'd really be nice if I could catch a lake trout the same day that, you know, I took a really nice caribou. And so he said, I'd know the place, and we took off, and apparently he knew a spot somewhere in that lake, and it was one of those things that every time you dropped a lure off the side, you caught something anywhere between 20 and 25 pounds. Uh, caught several of those, and then I had one hook that was probably about twice that size. But unfortunately, just as we reached down uh, to pick him up out of the water, he got loose. So I, I didn't catch that great big one, but I, I caught a bunch of those really nice ones. Yeah, they're, they're so fun, and I'm really honestly hooked on northern pike. I love I kids. know you are. <laughs> Pike addict, just like I'm kind of a wild hog hunting addict, you know. But uh, Tassin Lake is it's owned by two very, very, very experienced outfitters, guides, uh, Trevor Montgomery and Barry Prawl. They're partners on, on uh, uh, Tassin Lake Lodge up there. It's on an island, a big island, I don't know, 25 acres, <clears throat> I'm not real sure, but a pretty good-sized island right. is located. And... Uh, you to get there, you go to Fort McMurray, which is in northeastern, extreme northeastern Alberta. Yes, sir. And, and it's about an hour and a half uh, float plane ride that far. And you're heading north mostly, a little bit northeast, you know. Right. Into northern Saskatchewan. Actually, the Northwest Territories, Larry, are on right on the edge, the north edge of, of Tassin Lake. I, so, I thought that was the case. I knew it was way up there. Yes, sir. It's, it's up there. I mean, we saw moose. We saw a lynx. Uh, the first jump out of the box, we were fishing. Uh, Jeff and I were fishing with, with uh, Barry Prawl there. He, he also guides and, you know, the, one of the camp owners there. Right. And uh, they looked up. I didn't see it right off. They looked up and they said, what's that on the bank? And I, I actually focused on a, a log or whatever. <laughs> right. That's what they saw. And I said, oh, it's not moving. You know, like, yeah, we do. So finally I saw it. And I thought, well, guys, that must be a, a river otter or a beaver. It was We were a good distance off from the thing. It was in the water. In, well, the, the thing was sitting on a rock to start with. Oh, okay. And, yep, and uh, up on the bank. And uh, so it, there, it was a lynx is what it was, a big one, too, they tell me. I, first lynx I'd ever, wild one I'd ever seen. And uh, so we, we kind of, we got to running a little light outboard, you know, just kind of really slow ease up there and then let the wind blow us in and it was a lynx that lynx jumped in the water i don't think it knew what we were you know i think it probably thought there was just a piece of driftwood out there in the right water coming up on him and uh he went out there and made a little semi-circle and then he spotted us and he, he you know something he said wait a minute this is not driftwood this is humans <laughs> or whatever because he took off I mean, you've seen these cartoons where these animals are, like, running on top of the water. Right. 
That's the way that, that was him. He, <laughs> her. he hit and he hit the bank running. And by then, I'd screwed my three hundred millimeter lens on the camera, and uh, Jeff was running the video uh, camera too. Yes, sir. So I just started shooting automatic, and it was firing those shots. You know, camera lens shots at that at that cat. Like one of the images, Larry. It's just strictly luck. But it caught him in midair jumping, and and uh, it focused him perfectly. So oh, how cool! I was very proud of that. And you know, Barry said that's very, very rare to see a lynx, uh, even when you spend time every day up in that country. But it was exciting to see that. Uh, you know, we saw uh, and another phenomenal thing that that I'll never forget. I've never been around moose. Uh, I've been around near where they are, but I've right. never had the close encounter, Larry, with a moose. So we're out there fishing with uh, with Kent, another guide that's also a hunting guide, too, and uh, spotted this big animal way across the bay there. And Kent said, I bet that's a moose over there. You know, you couldn't tell for sure. So he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get set up where the wind's going to be just right. And we're going to shut the motor off and let the wind, a pretty good breeze that day, and let the wind blow us into close to that moose. Well, old moose, it was a, a bull and a big one. Uh, you know, they, he'd stick his head down under the water and graze, and then he'd pick his head back up. And he never thought anything of us, Larry. And we got within 45 yards of that bull. And uh, that got some great pictures of that. Uh, yeah, oh, just all in all... The, the trip up there to people that might be thinking about going to Tasman Lake, uh, you know, planning a trip next summer. Of course, it's about to freeze up up there not too much longer. They'll be, <laughs> right. they'll be shutting their doors on, on fishing for this year in September, I guess. But uh, if you want to go catch a giant lake trout, that's the place. I don't think there's another place in the North America that... Everybody that fish there, the serious trout fishermen, say there's no other place like this. And I, I saw it with the big, big ones landed. But if you're like me, y'all like to catch a big fish, but given the chance to fish hard for a 60-pound lake trout or to go have a lot of fun and catch a bunch of northerns and normal-sized lake trout, you know, I, I like the action fishing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, and it would almost be a shame to, well, it wouldn't. If you wanted a big fish, go go get him. You'll get him right there. But uh, go and, and we went in an old gold mine that was abandoned in the side of a mountain. Yes, sir. Walked back up in that thing for 100 yards, and I guess it's permafrost back there, Larry. Right. It's frozen solid. Nothing, any moisture was frozen. Uh, things like that. And there was a, a feeder stream um it looked like a tail race water up in the Rockies in that big, right. uh, big reservoir is what it looked like. But there was a, we didn't go up there, but there was a, a watershed up probably, I'm going to guess 50, 75 feet higher in elevation and a beautiful stream lined with rocks coming down into Tazan Lake. So our guide, the same one, um, Kent, that put, a, put us in close proximity to that moose, Ken said, we're going to go over there, and you like to catch uh, pike. And, of course, who don't, you know? <laughs> he said, you like to catch pike, Luke. We're going to wear you out on pike. <laughs> and, 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 Larry, he was right. We got over there, and what happened, that there's a fast-moving stream, rock line stream, 
coming down. But where that water met Tazan Lake. Oh, I can imagine. Or in there, you know, little bait fish and whatever that washes down. They were, I'm telling you, you might not catch one on every cast, but you'd get a bite. So a lot of things like that that add to a, to a fishing trip, I think, you know? You're really right. You know, you mentioned that links. I've, I've spent a decent amount of time up in the north country, the far north, hunting everywhere from the, oh, the northern part of Canada and, and then up into Alaska, and I've seen tracks of a lynx you know and i've seen pelts of lynx that other people had, had taken or trappers had caught but in all the time that i've up been up there i don't know that i've ever really seen what i was sure was a lynx we did see an animal one time just kind of running through some tall grass and the guy goes that that was a lynx and i i couldn't have told you what it was it could have been a cottontail as far as i was concerned but that is really rare when you do get to see one and then to get photography of it and of course as you mentioned jeff was also able to get some video of it and I've seen the shows from that came from Tazan Lake here recently that been posted on Carbon TV, and uh, that's pretty cool to see a lynx when you go up there. Just that, and of course, then that 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 uh, that moose as well too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Well, our friends listening, Larry, they can go to you know Carbon TV is I'm sure is the biggest streaming outdoor. Uh, network if you will there is but you can go on just on your cell phone carbontv.com and that Tazan Lake experience one and two but what you look for is a sportsman's life folks and then I think you might enjoy it I would like you to look at that big old moose and <laughs> and the uh and the video that Jeff shot of that link that's it was just amazing to me another thing Larry while we're talking about Tazan Lake that that I really enjoyed I was up there, and, you know, I had I'd write uh, outdoor columns for, you know, newspapers and Absolutely. magazines and stuff like that. Yes, so sir, a bunch. Yeah, and so I always have my 35 uh, camera with me. <clears throat> well, I found a couple of things I found very interesting. I was out there. There was an old wooden boat that looked to be about 20 foot long, and it wasn't made of plywood. I don't know what it was made from it wasn't uh dugout or nothing like it, it was right. kind of uh lumber but it was old it was so old that there was uh vegetation growing through parts of it been sitting there forever and i was just it's things like that that you encounter up north you know that boat i thought surely probably some in, you know it's probably an indian fishing boat from who knows when is what i guessed uh things like that you see i looked around behind the lodge and this part my interest larry there was a an uh an old been there for years you could tell uh smoker <clears throat> so i got to looking around as a, as a vertical <laughs> smoker upright right it had a uh, piece of stove pipe you know running from the inside of that vertical smoker to an old buried what they call airtight is just a wood stove is all it was but they call them airtights up there uh to a wood stove that was buried down in the ground i was rooting around and really perked by interest you know i could tell it hadn't been used in a while just from the smell of it you know there was yes, a wood smoke smell and uh so shelf there's a chef there that does boy he feeds you good uh steve driver chef steve driver so i got you know, we kind of hit it off talking about cooking. I said, Steve, do you ever use that uh, smoker? He says, 
oh, occasionally, once a year, maybe. We'll, he said, it works just fine. And I said, well, don't want to, you know, uh, put any excess work on you, but is it possible <laughs> for us to uh, take some of these smaller lake trout and you show me how you brine them and then make some smoked trout? He said, absolutely. That's what we're going to do. So that's another highlight that to me that was a big deal. Steve was an expert fly fisherman. And uh, so he, we went out, I was using, Jeff and I were using the spinning rigs. Jeff did a little fly fishing and caught some uh, some trout and pike and with, with the chef there. <clears throat> so we went back and he showed me <clears throat> exactly how he brined it. He put a little whiskey in there, a little brown sugar, uh, peppercorns, all kind of stuff. So he brined it two days, Larry, and then uh, cut some alder wood. That's what you smoke the stuff with is alder wood. Uh, down here we'd use hickory or oak, you know. Yes, sir. Alder wood is, is what they use to smoke that fish. That was some of the best smoked fish I've ever eaten in my life, you know. My gracious. Look, when, after you caught the fish, you gutted them, and then what else did you do to them before you put them in that smoker? I mean, before you put him into the brine. Yeah, what he what the chef did is, uh, yeah, gutted him out, you know, out there, and then filleted him. Oh, he did fillet him, yes, sir. Yeah, he filleted him. He didn't. He didn't there. So they were boneless uh, slabs. They're pretty good sized fish. You know, they were probably an inch and a half thick. Yes, sir. Uh, maybe two inches the, the slabs. Yeah, uh, just just did that, and um, and and you know, just, that's basically it. And then put him in that brine for two days, but he had all kind of all kind of things in the brine. But uh, you could just use uh, salt and sugar and brine brine fish. But he w- he made these a special way. And uh, I want I actually asked him. I said, down in in Texas where I live, you know, we have striped bass, uh, which are a drier fish than a trout. Of yes, sir. The, meat, the texture. I asked you about. They say, "Yeah, you can do that. You can do catfish, whatever." So, I want to. I want to do a little experimenting with my electric smoker, you know, smoking text, and uh, and you know, cat, put some catfish fillets in there, brine them. The key is brining them. But he said about twenty four hours. First. Yes, sir. That cures the fish really, kind of like ceviche in a way. Yeah, it's cured not by the citric acid, but by uh, you know just the fact that you've got it in that different uh, salt and all those other uh, components there of the brine. Luke, when you were there, what was kind of the typical day as far as when the time you, what time did y'all get up and what time did y'all fish and all those kind of good things? Was it a, a, a strenuous day or, or was it kind of laid back? No, it could be just about what you wanted it to be, Larry. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, it was only, I don't think, honestly, there's over two and a half hours of darkness at night. That's right. Uh, that far it's on about the 60th uh latitude 60 degrees and you know down here in texas we're about 32 degrees so it's it's uh, way closer to the arctic circle than it is to, to texas you know <laughs> so it's only you no know, kidding i mean the daylight you had to adjust to that uh i did because uh, but you would get up uh have a nice breakfast the chef would prepare a really good big breakfast and you know We'd start fishing, I think, at uh, 8 or 8.30, something like that, you know. And then we'd go out and fish for till about noon and then keep a few uh, smaller northerns. They're great eating. Yes, sir. And, and, a, and you know, a few uh, uh, 
uh, smaller lake trout, and then pull up on the shore somewhere. And they they had some campsites or cooking sites, I should say, right, uh, scattered around the the lake there. And we'd you know sometimes you know meet up two or three guide boats and and uh, the old boys are. They are experts at that. You know, they, one of them would have the fire going. The other one would uh, be getting the grease hot. And, you know, I mean, it was a, it was a team effort. But a shore lunch up there, if, if <laughs> I'm not sure I wouldn't go up there just to eat a shore lunch for five days in a row, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Those shore lunches are something special. You know, I've, I, I haven't fished that much up in that part of the world. I mean, it's been kind of incidental to whatever else I was doing dealing with hunting, but uh, we've had a few shore lunches up there that way where we did catch a fish and kind of just kind of a um, impromptu kind of shore lunch because we had a little bit of time. What about the weather? I, we're here in Texas while you were gone and I got to go do a little bit of gar fishing with uh, our friend Chris Moody with Gar Fishing Addiction over on the Trinity River and I can tell you that uh, it was hot. Of course, it's dry and the hot was probably about 100 104 degrees. Uh, I don't think you had that kind of temperature up there, did you? Uh, no, we didn't, Larry. Oh, no, shucks. Was, <laughs> yeah. No, it was an escape from the heat. Uh, at first, the first few days, it would be, you'd be heading out in the morning, it'd be in the 60s, and it might get up to 78, something like that for the high. But the last day, uh, the last morning, we actually fished that morning, and then left out later in uh, the float plane came that afternoon. Right. So we were fishing um, with, with Trevor Montgomery, and, I, and he says it's going to be an early fall. And I thought, fall, man, you know, a cold, a cool. Don't ask me which direction it blew in from. I'm not sure, but a, a cool front came in while we were out on the lake, and the fish were biting like crazy. Oh, I can imagine. And it so it dropped down into the I'd say upper fifties right there, quick. And uh, luckily, you always carry your rain gear and your jacket, you know, something right. to stay warm with when you're up there. Carry a little bag with you, some extra clothes. And uh, and old old Barry said, Luke, do you like, uh, asked Jeff and I, I said, do you like chowder? I said, oh, yeah, I love chowder. I've had it in New England and, you know, had it out of a Campbell soup. <laughs> chowder, you know? I love chowder. He says, well, have you ever had any pike chowder? course i haven't so he said let's catch three pike and the wind's kicking up about that time and it was getting time to get on in you know to get ready to leave right. that afternoon so he said let's let's catch three pike and we're going to make the best chowder you've ever eaten so i don't know he when we got back we did catch the pike quickly kept three and when we got back they diced up a bunch of potatoes a bunch of carrots uh celery all the stuff that you put in chowder, corn, you know, canned corn. And uh, instead of cream, they use milk up there. He said, like he said, the recipe when you're up in the far north depends largely on what you've got. You know, <laughs> I, I know that to be the case. <laughs> so he said you could put cream in it, you know, real chowder. A lot of times it's real cream. But yes, sir. Milk is, he said, I think you're going to enjoy this. And, and I did learn, uh, the, the chef didn't cook this. This was, he kind of over, overseen this, and, and uh, Kent and his dad, a couple of the guys there, actually did the work. Uh, but it was so, the, what I learned, though, you know, you put potatoes in, in chowder. Right, yes, so, sir. And cube them up pretty, pretty small cubes. 
So he says, you reserve half of these cubes and put them back, and you put half the cubes in there first with your onion and stuff. And let that thicken up. Let it let the potatoes cook down. Right, right. So that's kind of where you got the body to that chowder. And so he did that, and then he started putting all the other ingredients in. And the pike probably didn't spend more than 12 minutes. Uh, you know, he had the pike cook cut up in little bitty pieces. Yes, sir. If, if you could envision uh, clam chowder, how little pieces of clam. Right, well, he right, cut right. that pike up pretty small chunks. And it cooked in probably, you know, that in, in the in the chowder it probably cooked in twelve or fifteen minutes. But yeah, that was some of the that was the best chowder I've ever eaten. And one again, I want to duplicate that with some catfish or something, you know. You know what? That that sounds like just an ideal thing. Hopefully, before too very long, once we get into serious hunting season, we'll have a few days where here in Texas where it'll be cool, and we can get those kind of days. Even if we don't, you know, maybe we need to try some of that chowder anyway. We're going to do it. You know, uh, some of our your our friends listening, your listeners here, uh, both these guys, Trevor Montgomery and Barry Prawl, are outfitters, and they have other camps. They're they well well established in the far north up there but they've got several other operations that they do uh uh trevor was telling me that he's got some bear a lot of bear opportunities for fall bear in an area over near camp grayling it's i think it's over closer to stony rapids yes sir not at this place but near stony rapids for a good point of reference but He's got some phenomenal bear hunts that he can do this fall. And uh, he's, it's a, a spot that hasn't been hunted in years. But uh, And then also uh, for spring bear, um, you know, Barry Prawl has, has been outfitting for many years up there. He's got some awesome spring bear hunting uh, coming up. So anybody that might be thinking bear, just a thought, Larry, uh you can go there to uh, Tazin, T-A-Z-I-N, lake.com, and that's their website. I think both those guys' phone numbers there. If you're looking for a place to hunt bear, I, I think that'd be hard to beat the, those guys up there, you know? Well, you get that far north, and those bear have unbelievable hides or hair on them. So, I mean, they're, and they're beautiful bear. And the fact that those bear up there don't get hunted very, very heavily. So, that gives a bunch of those older boars an opportunity to get some age on them. And there are some big bear up there. And, of course, I think most of that country, from what I recall, have hunted not too far from there. There's also a fair number of color phase bears scattered throughout that part of the country. So, you're liable to see a brown with a brown or cinnamon or you know any points in between kind of thing which kind of me adds to the flavor of, of the bear hunting and i promise you i will be getting in touch with those guys i can't do it this fall unfortunately but uh next fall is another deal i that, that I, I love bear hunting and it's been a while now since i've had the opportunity to really spend any time doing it so that's something that i'm going to be looking into particularly with those guys well, those, both of those fellows are, are huge fans of yours, Larry, and they they spend a lot of time, you know, so we, your name come up, your ears may have been burning down here in Texas. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> we that. Were talking, they talk and they said, you know, they know you and I are friends. And Absolutely. Do a lot of stuff together, and they, they said, well, you tell Larry to get up here sometime, and how about this fall, you know, that, that the fall thing – of course, I'm no experienced bear hunter. I've, I've guided it for elk and bear hunts, but as far as hunting them myself, you know, I've never done a lot of that. But 
the fall, that just kind of appeals to me. They've been eating those berries and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if you're thinking about eating the meat, right? Yeah, spring is fun, and it's I understand all of it, but I think I think I'd rather be a fall bear hunter. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, to me, part of that fun of being that fall bear hunter is a lot of that country up there. You run into a tremendous amount of different berries. And I've been up there in that north country during that time. And usually my white beard now is kind of purplish colored because of all the blueberries. And then either that or red because like it used to be because of the raspberries. And then there's other berries up there, too. So there, there are all these side benefits about hunting up there. And not only the bear hunting and the, the fact that those bear do really taste good, but the meat does from those bear taken at that time. Yeah. Well, I was, I tell you what, I, I was in my little scouting trip on the island there where the lodge is located there's some you know some trails through that thing yes sir and i was taking all kind of pictures i've all kind of uh blueberries they were just everywhere. oh my gosh but uh, but they were not ripe you know? oh heck uh, yeah no they, they said no these things will be right right now they're ripe. yes <laughs> yes those bears are those bears are getting fat but uh no there was a bumper crop of, of the berries there I guess they're low bush. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, they're right on the ground, you know. But, yeah, that's uh, the thing about that area, that country, that amazes me. Yeah, there's a lot of activities that go on, but those activities are from about the end of May through the middle of September. or October the 1st, it's, it's, it's winter to us down here, you know. So... The rest of the year, I just think about that lodge, and nobody's there. There's no roads in there. No. You have to fly an hour and a half to get there. So just what is that country like in the middle of winter? You know, you just have to. Cold. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> that, that, that lake, is Tazan Lake, is 900 feet deep. It's the deepest. Oh, my gracious. And, and they say there's not a spot you can't drive a semi over in the woods dead of winter you know three or four foot of ice you know that is that's a different world isn't it? that is a different world and it you know I, I love cold weather but and i'd love to experience it for about maybe 30 minutes when it was that way and then i'd like to come back where it's not quite that cold <laughs> yeah uh, you know i've never ice fish larry uh they 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 all they've got me almost <laughs> convinced to, uh, not there but they've got some spots farther farther south you know uh, to go up uh, that's close to civilization. And, and have you ever eaten the yellow perch? I have. Have you? Good. Yeah. Oh, that's what I hear. Absolutely I, delicious. I had some that had been frozen at a hunting camp here in Texas, old boy from Michigan brought down. But they'd been frozen a while. They were good, but I, I, I'm told that those fresh yellow perch, and those things are, what, 10, 11 inches long? That, oh, yeah, they can be. Yes, sir. That's what I would love to go up and get in one of those fishing huts and, uh, and you know, just fish for, of course, you can catch walleye and everything else there, but uh, wouldn't that be a hoot, a lot of fun, you know? Yes, sir. I got to do about an hour of that one time years ago. Years ago, people probably don't even remember the North American Hunting Club, but we did a lot of things with those guys back then. I was on staff with them for a long time. Did the You Call the Shot 
thing that we did in the magazine, particularly in the TV shows on, on North American Hunter. And when we'd film those was generally in the wintertime. And I'd go up there with uh, with Bill Miller and, and a bunch of his guys. And I did get to go out onto the frozen lake one time to fish for about an hour. But I found out that uh, it was still pretty cold. But we were not in any kind, any kind of hut. And thankfully, they had a little bit of uh, cinnamon snosh schnapps that was passed around. Yeah. And I came to the realization that I think one of the reasons a lot of those guys go fishing up there is because it gets them out of the house. They get a chance to catch a fish, but they also get to imbibe just a little bit in that, uh, I can't remember what this, hot hot something and other cinnamon schnapps. And it, and it, it did help, I have to admit. I remember there's a there's a, uh, a brand called Hot Down. That's what it is, yeah. I couldn't remember. I've partaken of a sip or two of that. <laughs> It's definitely made for cold, cold weather, you know, for it, sure. It is. <laughs> it is. Boy, there's just, well, there's just so much to, to think about up there and, and to do. It, it is definitely a different world up there. And I think, uh, you know, we're making plans next June to, uh, you're going to be up uh, up with us fishing at a, a spot up there. This place is a, will be a do-it-yourself type of thing, but it's catching fish up there is pretty easy. It's, uh, you know, of course, you once you know a little trick or two uh, where we're going, there's going to be lots of walleye, you know, and uh, pike. And uh, I think we'll have, we'll, we'll be eating fish probably twice a day, Larry, you know. Uh, we may try to make that much as I like walleye. That's been a while since I've had a chance to get my fill of those things. So and where I am, if, if I'm cooking, we may have walleye Three times a day. <laughs> well, you're going to be right there in the cabin with us, so yeah. Uh, that's uh, You know, uh, of course, we're all, we always revert back to some kind of outdoor cooking, but one way that the real method of blackening fish, uh, Chef Paul Prudhomme down yes. in New Orleans there, he came out with that, and it was almost the... It, it, it hit... Uh, it was so popular, he was all about redfish, and... They had to pass some new laws because of they the did. fish conservation, you know. But anyway, you can blacken any kind of fish. But the way the way the chef Paul Prudhomme did it was get a skillet, dry skillet, white hot. Yes. No butter, no oil, no nothing, and season your season your fillets with Paul Prudhomme. Of course. Seasoning, you know. Yep. Yep. And then slap it down on there, and then season the top and turn it. And then what do you do to it? You put lemon butter on it after that's done, you know. So I, I was actually uh, several years ago up there at Squatican Lake Lodge, and we were eating fish every day. We had plenty of butter. We knew to take a, a bunch of butter. Yes, sir. And I said, you know, guys, uh, rather than heat that skillet up, it's kind of rough on a cast iron skillet. Right. Know, it's hard to clean them when you do it. I said, I'm going to do it differently. So I got it hot. Uh, but not smoking hot with butter, just not a lot of butter, but enough butter to, you know, to cook that fish. And then I cooked it in the butter and then turned it, you know, and, oh my and goodness. the fish product, Larry, was the same as if you cooked it in a dry skillet and poured, it's probably less <laughs> butter when it cooked this way, but it, we had, we had that, it was, went over so good. Honestly, we had it every day, you know? Well, that that's going to be on the menu when we get up there. That, that, oh, yeah. That's one thing I want to be sure of. You bet. And uh, uh, another tip on, on the seasoning, I, I've started ordering 
is called backwoods uh, blackening from uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro. You know, you can get a big old shaker of that, and that will be in my pack when I head up there, a uh, fresh shaker of that backwoods uh, seasoning. So that's a little tip for folks that... Regardless what kind of fish you want to blacken, it's a good it's a good way to do it. You know, I tell you what, you you got me interested. We've got a little bit of water left here where I'm, on my little place that I'm going to try to go fish. I may try to do some of that with even a uh, maybe a bluegill or something. It wouldn't take uh, one minute per per side of it, you know, to, to cook a bluegill. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that would be good, buddy. I guarantee you. Well, look, we better kind of throw some cold, uh, throw some water on the colds, I guess, or kick some dirt on colds and get out and do some of the things we're thinking about wanting to do in terms of fishing. I know you got a hog hunt coming up. I got to go side in a rifle for this uh, upcoming pronghorn hunt. That in case Brewington doesn't bring that one, I'll have another Brewington rifle with me. But uh, tell me, where is the best place to get in touch with you? you? You do so many different things in terms of outdoor writing with newspaper columns and articles for a whole bunch of different publications, including Fur, Fish, and Game, and, and just the list goes on and on, and radio, and of course we do the TV and the podcast, but how's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you and to where you can direct them to some of the other things that you're involved in? Yep, it's pretty easy, uh, Larry. The, the radio website, and, and folks can listen to you and I every week, Campfire Talk, you know. We're, we're at catfishradio.org, folks. Go to catfishradio.org, and there uh, is a lot of information. You can click on, you'll you'll see Campfire Talk is always segment one. You can listen to Larry and I talk for, oh, you know, usually 15 minutes, tell about what's going on. Very informal. Very informal. We, <laughs> kind of like what you've just listened to. That's right. We visited some, together and spent so much time together, we don't. We don't, I don't think we could read script if we tried. <laughs> I, I think you're right. It, it's hard. So just an informal visit with Larry each week right there. And, and there's a spot that says contact Luke, and it's my email address. It's uh, simply my, you, you can pull it up there, Luke Clayton 1950 at Gmail. And yeah, Larry, uh, anyway, I can help point uh, folks in the direction that they might want to Going the outdoors, you know, I'm always more than willing to do that. Well, I want to get you back on. You've been on here with Jeff and me in the in the past, and I know you got some really nice hunts coming up. And you're one of those guys that likes to hunt, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference whether it's got a sharpened piece of steel on the end of an arrow, or a, a lead bullet, or uh, shotgun pellets, or a, a horny bullet coming out of a pistol or a rifle kind of thing. So, uh, get you back on here. For too very long and uh, we'll figure out something else to talk about well I'll always be ready Larry and I appreciate the chance to be with you today Luke I totally appreciate you in so many different ways look forward to the next time we get together in person but uh, even if not in person on on the radio or, or uh, on another podcast somewhere so thank you much for joining us this morning and folks ladies and gentlemen if you would get in touch with Luke at uh, catfishradio.org and uh, I'll tell you what you'll be glad you did and if you want to know a little bit more about some of the 
cooking stuff, that's a great place to go to because Luke's got a, a book about hog hunting that uh, he'll sell there to you. And that book also has some really outstanding recipes in it. So join us right back here next week on DSC's Campfires. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 